Lord Almighty, great are You. And Lord, I pray that this evening You would show us Your greatness by opening Your Word to us and opening us to Your Word so that we would uh, become more and more the men and women of God You have created us to be. That we would, we would hear You and know You better and therefore love You and trust You more. Lord, let us live out the Gospel in our lives so that others may taste and see the Lord is good. In Jesus' name, Amen. For obvious reasons, for the last four years or so, Chinese culture has become a little more important to me. I have my favorite import on the planet just down the road, just a couple of doors down to the east of us. And so, communication missteps are also both funnier to me and sadder at the same time. Decades ago, Coca-Cola wanted to get into the Chinese market. And so, they first rendered Coca-Cola thus, ki ku ki la. Now, unfortunately, the company didn't discover until way too late that ki ku ki la means in Chinese, bite the wax tadpole. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> so <laughs> there was an alternate translation for that too, but it was inappropriate for me to say in church. Uh, so they researched and they found something that actually to me was even better, koku kole, which loosely translated means happiness in the mouth. And I thought that was a good one. But KFC also wanted to make it to China. And so KFC, you know, they always had their finger looking good uh, commercial. Do you remember, do you remember the finger looking good, right? Okay. Well, the translation into Chinese means eat your fingers off. <laughs> Somehow that didn't work. I don't know why it didn't. <laughs> My favorite one, though, was when Pepsi was trying to get into Taiwan, which is a little bit different language than Mandarin Chinese. Uh, they translated back 80s, I think. Benji will probably be able to tell us when the year was. But remember the Come Alive with the Pepsi Generation uh, commercials? I remember that. I was a part of the Pepsi Generation, even though I'm a Coke drinker. But Come Alive with the Pepsi Generation came out as Pepsi will bring your ancestors back from the dead. <laughs> I don't think that worked. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but the miscommunication is both really funny and it's really sad at the same time. And every time you go to any kind of communication, certainly an advertisement, which was a lot funnier when you were able to see the advertisements, but alas, oh well. Uh, you have to ask yourself two questions before you get to understanding what this whatever this communication is, but especially if it's the Bible that we're talking about, you have to ask, what is this talking about? That's the first question. What are we talking about? Are we talking about aliens from Mars? Are we talking about polluted water? Or are we talking about the Word of God? And the second thing you have to find out when you're trying to understand what something is saying, for example, the book of Romans, is... What is this author saying about what he's talking about? And that sounds 
very kindergarten, but sometimes we need to get back to the basics so that we can really understand. And when you're paying attention, when you're trying to find out what this author is saying, especially something so important as the good news of Paul, also known as the letter to the Romans, when you, when you, it's worth it to spend that extra time. And Paul understood this. And so immediately, in the first seven verses of his letter, he lays out many of the themes that he's going to go through throughout the book of Romans, but he also tells exactly what he's talking about. Verse 1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. Immediately we find out what Romans is all about. I'll tell you why I believe that. But Romans is fundamentally about the gospel of God. The good news that God has for His people around the world right now while we're still living in occupied territory. Now what is this gospel of God? Well, if you take the passage we're going to look at tonight as a place to begin... The gospel of God is the universal plan to fulfill the work he begun in ages past, prophesied by the scripture, and intended to bring about the obedience of faith in God the Son, Jesus Christ, to all the nations. This is what it means to be the gospel of God. I'm sorry I don't have that written out for you, but if you want it, I'll give it to you again and You can look at it later. The gospel of God is the universal plan to fulfill the work begun by God in ages past, prophesied in the scriptures, and intended to bring about the obedience of faith in God the Son, Jesus Christ, to all the nations. Now, as we are going through the gospel according to Paul, also known as the letter of Romans, as we go through, I will generally say good news wherever it says gospel. Now, I do that for a very specific reason. Gospel is a perfectly good word, but generally when we think of the word gospel, we think of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And if you just translate euangelizo, uh, I evangelize, if you, just, if you just translate that, it translates to good news. Now, the good news of God is what Romans is all about. And we see that because Romans 1, 1 through 7, is a nutshell of what goes on in the book as a whole. Allow me to read it for us. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scripture, concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome and Santa Maria, California, who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What we see here is that the gospel of God, or the the good news of God, is the subject of what he's talking about here. 
It's the gospel of God, which he promised before. And it's the gospel of God concerning his son. It's the gospel of God concerning his son, who is declared to be God the son. And it's through God the Son that we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith to all the nations, including you. So it is this good news of God. It is the gospel of God that is the subject of this paragraph. But then I'll argue as we go through, it is also the subject of Romans. And so tonight, we're going to go through this passage one verse at a time, and we'll discover at least two things. The first thing is that the good news of God concerning His Son is what we need to know. Now, you're going to hear me say this a lot as we go through Romans. You're going to hear me say, this is the gospel. And then you're going to hear me say a little bit later, this is the gospel. And then you're going to hear me say a little bit later, this is the gospel. And there are various statements, there are various ways that Paul uses to communicate the truth that you can have all your sins forgiven. Are you interested? You can live your life right now and for all eternity to the glory of God. Are you interested? You can right now, right where you are, begin a new life. Are you interested? See, there's, those are three different introductions to the good news, but they're all true. And we're going to see as we go throughout Romans, there are several times where he states the good news of Jesus Christ or good news of God in a fresh way. And we're also going to learn um, my big idea for tonight, and that is to glorify God by living the obedience of faith. Uh, Each one of those words is important and we'll get to them. But right now, let's jump in at verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. Now, Paul begins his letter with a threefold description of himself. And he begins pretty basically servant of God. We don't really struggle with that. We're used to hearing things like that. Then he calls himself an apostle of Christ. Also, we're not really struggling with that. Apostle just means one who is sent. But I think in this case, we can make the case that he is a a capital A apostle as opposed to a lowercase apostle. But the point is, is that Paul is describing himself, but then he describes himself in a third way that ought to catch our attention. He says that he is set apart for the gospel of God. Now, there was another man who was self-consciously set apart from birth, and that was Jeremiah. And I think, I, I think that you could make the case that Paul is making an allusion there to Jeremiah's own call. Eh, maybe, maybe not. But I think that an even closer parallel is true. You see, the Pharisees, the Pharisees were ones who took upon themselves to set themselves apart the law. That's what a Pharisee was. A Pharisee was one who self-consciously set themselves apart from everything else so that they could honor the law. Paul was a Pharisee. 
And I don't think it was lost on him that when he wrote his most important letter, that he wrote it identifying himself as one who is not set apart for the law, but one who is set apart for the good news of God concerning his son, Jesus Christ. And we get here in the very first verse, one of a, a, an announcement, a shot over the bow, so to speak, of one of his major themes. Now, I told you last week, and if you flip your sheet over that you got tonight, you'll see the four themes that I'm going to uh, say are a big part of this letter. And the number one is, how is the new of the good news a continuation of the old? We're going to talk about that a lot. I'm not going to go over these themes tonight. I'm just going to remind you what they were. The second is that the second theme is what is the relationship between the Jews and the Gentiles? What is this whole people of God thing that Paul is announcing to us in Romans and Ephesians and Galatians? Number three, what is this righteousness of God and how do we become partakers in it? That's a major theme of the good news according to Paul also known as the letter to Romans. And then lastly, what is the good news of God concerning His Son, Jesus Christ? What is the gospel? What is the good news? What is this that is so new that we need to hear and take a part of this? Now, what I didn't say last week, and I, I realized uh, afterwards, after I got home, I realized, ooh, you know, there, there's another major thing that I left off that maybe one or two of you caught. Actually, I hope you did. Because it's a, it's a big theme in Romans, but I would argue that it is kind of a sub-theme. It's a meta-theme. It goes underneath the, these other four themes and kind of builds them. It's, it's a structure. And that is the question... How does the good news of Jesus Christ, how does the gospel of God relate to the law? And right here in the very first verse, it's a veiled allusion, but I think it's an important one to Paul where he says, I am no longer set apart for the law. I am set apart for the gospel of God. I am set apart for the good news of Jesus Christ. And that, by announcing that he is set apart for the gospel of God, Paul is declaring his basic allegiance has changed. He's not against Yahweh. He's not against the God of the Old Testament. But it's no longer an allegiance to the law. It's an allegiance to the good news of Jesus Christ. And he is set apart for the good news because the law, in an important sense, was the bad news. The law, in an important sense, is the bad news. You're wrong. You're, you're dead wrong. You and I and every other mother's child deserves the wrath of God. Because we're wrong. That is the bad news. And that is the, an important aspect of the law found in Scriptures. Now I want to we're introducing this series to Romans. So I'm preaching this passage differently because we're introducing a whole passage than just one one-off sermon. Because I want to say something about Paul's use of the word scriptures. 
You'll hear Paul say scriptures. You'll hear him say prophets. You'll hear him say law and prophets. In fact, that's one of Jesus' personal favorite phrases is law and prophets. And you will undoubtedly hear me slip into the wrong words, and that is Old Testament. We say Old Testament because it's convenient. But Paul never used that word. He'd never heard that word before. To him, it wasn't the Old Testament. In fact, I think Old Testament is kind of a, of a bummer that we say that because we say Old Testament, so we think, oh, it's passe, it's, it's old, it, it's something we don't need anymore. It's, you know, hey, get out with the old, in with the new. But that's not how Paul thought of the Old Covenant, the previous covenant, I'm sure I will call it the Old Testament and you can make fun of me after the sermon and I'll, I'll take it. But here's the point. The point is that in verse 1, there is something new. This gospel of God. This good news of Jesus Christ. Not really sure what it means yet. We're, we haven't explored what it means yet. But now we know that Paul's saying, look, I am set apart for the gospel of God. And that it is worth preaching. So tonight in this passage, we discover that we are to live to glorify God by proclaiming the obedience of faith. Now we'll continue. Verse 2. Which, he's talking about the good news of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scripture. Now, what, what is Paul referring to? Well, I just told you, the good news of God. The good news that we will learn in verse 3 concerns his son. We're, we're building step by step. We're, we're growing in our understanding of what this gospel of God means. And God promised beforehand that he would all, do all this. The old covenant set up what the new covenant confirmed. Everything that we learned in the Tanakh, which is one of the two Jer Jewish words uh, for the Old Testament, uh, mitzvah, mitzvah, right? Mitzvah is the other one. I think I'm right. Um, and so, what is it that that prophesied that we see now has been confirmed in the New Testament, the New Covenant? Now, right here at verse 2, the second verse of Romans, we see again one of the most important themes of the letter. How is what is new about the good news different than what is found in the old and how is what is new about the good news a continuation of the old continuity discontinuity promise in the old testament fulfillment in the new testament i oh, see i did it didn't i i told you i would it only took me a couple minutes what is continuous? What continues? What, is, what does God bring over from the Old Covenant? And what is it that's new in the New Covenant that wasn't there in the Old? That's a big theme here in Romans. And it's absolutely central to understanding Romans because Paul has to establish that what he's talking about, about Jesus Christ, is a continuation of what was in the Old Testament. Because if it's not, what do you have? Well, Mormonism, Jehovah Witnessism, 
what is that called? Jehovah, Jehovah Witness. Um, you, you have an altogether different religion, which is fine if that's what you want. But the point is, is that Paul wants to say, this is what God taught us in the Old Covenant, and this is what he is teaching us now. And they have to be compatible even if they are different. Paul must show that his ideas about Jesus and what Jesus accomplished comes from what is prophesied before so that the Jew that's in his head, get to that in a second, the Jew that in his head will understand what he's saying. Since you guys have been reading this last week, two chapters in Mark in the morning and two chapters in Romans at night, you will find tonight when you finish both of those books, Mark uh, 15 and 16 and Romans 15 and 16, you will find that Paul is in this continual dialogue between someone who knows and understands and loves the law, trying to get him to understand how what is new is true and is a part of what was found in the law. I know that at least one of us was reading Mark chapter one or two chapters of Mark in the morning and two chapters of Romans at night. It's not magic, people. It's not guilt. I'm not telling you that you're going to be a bad Christian if you don't do it. But boy, if you don't already have a Bible reading program, that is a good program. That's all I'll say right now. I'll probably say something like that again, though. So instead of ignoring the Old Covenant, instead of ignoring the Scriptures and the Law and the Prophets, Paul says we must glorify God by demonstrating the obedience of faith. And this faith, this good news of God, first and foremost concerns His Son, verse 3, who is descended from David according to the flesh. Now this good news of God concerns God's Son. God the Father is the central character and God the Son is the central person that God the Father acts on and through so that He can bring about His plan that He has, has been working since the beginning of the universe. And that plan is that through Jesus... Through his life and death, he can now affect the salvation, the justification of all who would put their trust in him. Paul is concerned that he show that God the Son, Jesus Christ, is the one that the Old Covenant, that the Scriptures, the Law and the Prophets were pointing at, including the prophecies that we get in 2 Samuel about the sons of David. Now, Paul is very interested in understanding that, but then he picks up again in verse 4. It was concerning his son, concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, and he was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, I once heard um, when I was a college-age pastor, someone said, well, you know, I'm not sure I should believe this because this has been a controversial doctrine in the church. They, they, had, they had just enough church history 
to, to say that this particular, I can't even remember what the doctrine was, this particular doctrine has been controversial in the church. So I, I'm just not going to believe that controversial doctrine. So my, my response was, well, you show me any important biblical doctrine that hasn't been controversial in the church, and I'll show you one that's probably not very important. And even all those are also argued about by all kinds of people. And, you know, you get to these difficult passages. You know, people say, oh, this is a hard passage. Well, you know what that means, right? If someone says this is a hard passage, they don't like it. They, they don't want it to be true because they have their own God in a box. And because they have God in a box, ah, I'm not going to go there. Well, this is one of those that, that for one reason or another, people have stumbled over. And it, it, it's easy to see why Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power by his resurrection of the dead. Oh, well, Jesus wasn't God the Son. He was just, he became God the Son at his resurrection. That's hooey. I mean, come on. That's baloney. One of the most important principles of Scripture one of the most important principles of understanding Scripture is you take the very crystal clear passages and you use them to help you understand the difficult passages. And God the Son, Jesus Christ, has always been God the Son. That's how his best friend John understood it when John said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus, God the Son, Jesus is God the Son from eternity past. He's not some new creation. But we also see that Paul understood this. Of all the passages I could find that prove the deity of Christ, that he really was God the Son, my favorite one in this regard is Romans 10.13. Now listen, this is a good verse. Pay attention to what's going on here. Paul is quoting Joel chapter 2.32. Joel 2.32 says, For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Right? But... Where it is Yahweh, where it is uh, the Lord in Joel, he applies it directly to Jesus. In Paul's mind, there is no confusion. Jesus is God. And we get that. So this whole confusion thing, whatever. My point that I want to make to you guys is the principle for understanding Scripture is where you find, you, you kind of scratch your head, and there's lots of passages. You go, I'm really not sure what the author is getting at here. Go to clear passages, and they will explain to you so that you can understand these difficult ones. And I don't even think this one's particularly difficult. But what is interesting to me, and what I love about this particular verse, is where it says that he was declared to be the Son of God in power. In power here refers to how it was that God declared. How it was that he made known to everyone who was willing to listen that Jesus Christ our Lord is also God the Son. Now you can be told that something is true. But if it's proven to you beyond the shadow of a doubt, it has power. Now this is kind of a sad example of this. But on one particular day in eighth grade, I was walking down the hall, going from first to second period. And, you know, the boys in junior high, uh, they're just a bunch of goofballs. This one kind of goofball of a boy was walking towards me, and he said, the space shuttle just blew up. 
And I thought, yeah, right, whatever. I, I, I didn't believe him in the least. Ten feet behind him was a girl who was crying. Wow. I knew the truth then, even though I hadn't seen it. I knew it was because that girl was crying. The goofball was just being a goofball. But there's something about Jesus saying, hey, y'all, I'm going to die, and in three days I'm going to rise again. Hey, I want you all to know something. I'm going to die, and in three days I'm going to rise again. Pay attention, people. I'm going to die, and in three days I'm going to rise again. Are you guys listening to me? And then he does. You see, the resurrection was God's amen to everything that Jesus Christ said and everything that Jesus Christ did. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave was God's way of saying, pay attention people. I've been here and I've worked and it's done. Jesus said, it is finish. This is what is being communicated in Romans chapter 1-4 when he was declared to be son of God in power. 2 Corinthians 1-20 says, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. Because Jesus lived, because Jesus died, because Jesus rose again, you can have confidence that He is God the Son and all the Father's promises for you in Christ are better than cash in the bank. Again, our point tonight, glorify God by manifesting the obedience of faith. Manifesting means to make it plain. In this case, by how you live, your attitudes and actions. Because how you live based upon the promises of God which find their amen in Jesus Christ will communicate to people whether or not you are in fact God's. And now we get to the payoff verse. You've heard me talk about this obedience of faith. Well, what is he, what's going on here? It's this good news of God concerning His Son, Jesus Christ, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all the nations. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, Paul received grace and apostleship. Paul then gives a statement about the purpose. Why did he receive grace and apostleship? The purpose of him receiving grace and apostleship was to bring about the obedience of faith. Man, you want to get a Baptist dander up? You start talking about obedience. I need to hear an amen for that. So let's get the easy stuff out of the way. The phrase, this phrase is kind of clunky in English. It, it, it kind of scratches us a little wrong. It's not so clunky in the Greek. It means the obedience that faith produces. Or another way you could say the same idea is it's the obedience that comes from faith. Now, Understanding it this way isn't so clunky because you understand that if I am going to be a man or a woman in Christ who trusts in the promises of God for me in Christ, then I am in fact going to live in a certain way. 
in that way, among other things, are going to be to seek to live in obedience to the commands that God has given to me. Now that is a, is a statement that needs a lot of unpacking as well. But start there. If you are going to be a man or woman in Christ, if you are going to trust the promises of God for you in Christ, then there's going to be a certain level of obedience that comes because you trust the promises of God for you in Christ. And people will notice. What do you mean you're unwilling to steal from the company? You're not stealing from a person. You're just stealing from a company. That's okay, right? What do you mean you're unwilling to gossip behind your co-worker's back? You never liked that girl anyway, so she doesn't like you. Just gossip about her. It's okay. We're among friends. I would never tell anybody what you said. What do you mean you're unwilling to watch certain entertainment? What do you mean you're unwilling to get bent out of shape because of politics? Oh. If you believe, if you trust the promises of God for you in Christ, among which are He makes all things work together for the good of those who love Him who are called according to His purposes. Among which, do not take vengeance for yourself. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. Among which is, if God, um, if He will not, Lord, um, If God gives you his son, of course he's going to give you all things. If you believe those promises, you can let all these other things just roll off your back and not stress about it. That doesn't mean you don't do something about it, but not worry, not fret. You can glorify God by living the obedience of faith. But there's something else worth noting right here in verse 5, and it's the reason why it's my favorite verse in this passage, and that is, Paul has this grace. He has power to live, to carry out kingdom purposes. Why? To bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. If you start living like this, even taking one small step at a time, people will notice God will be glorified, you will be blessed, and His kingdom will grow. But now, verse 6, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. I was in seminary, graduated uh, college from University of California, Riverside, and went about 20 miles northeast of school and went to this little tiny college called the or seminary called the International School of Theology. Very small school. I think we had 15 total people graduate the year I graduated. But what it lacked academically, it really made up for ministry-wise. And one of the things that we had to do quite a bit was to go to the college there in town, Cal State University, San Bernardino, and share the four laws. Does anybody here know what the four laws are? Does anybody remember uh, Camp's Crusade for Christ? Uh, um, the four laws, God loves you, 
has a wonderful plan for your life. Man is sinful, separated from God, therefore cannot experience God's wonderful plan for their life. And Jesus Christ is God's only provision for man's sin so that they can know and experience God's wonderful plan for his life. Yes, I still have it memorized 20 years later. But one of the things we're supposed to say right after Law 3 is, but that's not enough. Knowing the first three laws gets you precisely nothing. And when you get to the pearly gates, so to speak, you're not going to be given a multiple choice quest, ch- uh, quiz. You're not going to have this multiple guess. Uh, let me think. Uh, see, uh, there's one question. What did you do with Jesus? We must individually, the law of fours, we must individually receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And Paul makes a similar point here in verse 6. You are included in this whole kit and caboodle. Wait, you've been talking about David. You've been talking about prophets. You've been talking about all this heady stuff up here, Paul. I'm not sure I get all of this. And now you're saying, I'm in this story too? That kind of blows my mind. God not only planned for Jesus to come and live and die, but he also planned for me to be a part of that story. Including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Now remember, when you're reading this, Paul is writing to people he doesn't know. He's never been to Rome. But he's going to say in Romans 15.4, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. Why? Why is he able to say that about people he doesn't know? Because he knows God the Spirit. Or as he just called him two verses earlier, he called him the spirit of holiness. And he knows the spirit of holiness is going to work in believers who are in Ephesus and believers who are in Jerusalem, believers who are in Rome, and even those wicked believers in Santa Maria, California. Come on, I need an amen for that. (laughs) Thank you. It applies to you. It applies to you. And even better than that, I can, with a clear conscience, with a solid understanding of Scripture, I can go and take this good news to others who may or may not receive it, but I can do that because Paul says here that this good news is for everyone. Now, is everyone going to repent? No. Lord, I wish. But I know that if God can save my father's son, he can save anybody. Paul ends this particular part of his introduction with verse 7. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Most people, when they greet somebody... Hey, what's up, guys? What's up, dog? Pretty, pretty straightforward. 
But Paul gives a seminary-level theology class in one verse. What does he say? You are loved. Nothing else matters. You are safe. You are one of God's holy ones. You are one who has already passed the only test you will after, ever have to pass in order to get into heaven. You are safe. You are safe and you are loved. Nothing else matters. You are offered grace. You are offered power for accomplishing kingdom purposes in your life and in the lives of those who are around you. You are safe and you are loved. Not only that, but you are called to be saints. You are called to be holy ones. You, you are given grace and peace. You are no longer an enemy of God. You are safe and you are loved. My friends, receive that. Receive that into your soul right now and it will bless you and then you will be able to take that blessing wherever you go. You are safe you are loved. All this is yours for the asking. Do you want to know the gospel of God? Do you want to know a very concise but solid understanding of the good news of Jesus? Then look no further than Romans 1, 1 through 7. Here it is. You will find the good news that you need so that you can be one who brings glory to God, who brings joy to your own heart, and brings that joy to many as you see the kingdom of God expand. And Lord Almighty, as we have now started the gospel according to Paul, also known as Paul's letter to the Romans, I pray that you would give us great grace Help us to see you in it so that we will know you more and therefore love you and trust you more. Bless us, Jesus. Help us to know that we are safe and we are loved and therefore enable us to spread that to those who are around us for your glory, for our joy, and for the growth of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.